SAFM Literature. SAFM Literature, it is here on SAFM and it's Sunday and we're coming to you from Cape Town. And here on the Cape Town studio with me, I have Zeke Samdar. And I feel I should be calling him um, the Zeke Samdar because he certainly <laughs> doesn't really need any introduction to all South African readers because his output is massive. And at the launch of his new book last week at the Fugard Theatre in Cape Town, he's going to do another one, I think, in Joburg at the Market Theatre. Mm-hmm. But I must tell you, at the launch of his new book, Athol Fugard himself referred to him with reverence, suggesting that the Fugard Theatre should, in fact, be renamed as the Zakesamdar Theatre. So well, he <laughs> was just being nice. He was yeah. being very nice. He was being very honest, I thought. But uh, it was a very interesting <laughs> concept. Because, as you probably know, that uh, Zeke Sundar is not only a writer of novels, he's also a writer of plays. <laughs> so, it was a very generous idea of Mr. Mr. Fugard himself. But the proof, I guess, of the printed pudding is in the reading. And if you've read any of his books, and I, I think that you probably will be itching to read his latest book, and if you've read none of his books, well, what can I say, you've got a treat in store. So, let's talk a little bit about The Sculptors of Mapam Gubwe. It's, it's a real classic fairy tale, I suppose you could call it, a legend. It's, a, it's kind of like an extended Brothers Grimm with an African essence and a very strangely contemporary overtone. Zakes and Dahl, welcome. It's lovely to have you here in Thank the you. studio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Before we get on to the sculptors of Mapungubwe, which I have just finished reading, and uh, mm-hmm. I absolutely love it, before we get on to that, I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about... Uh, about you as a writer, uh, you know, we were talking quickly, the sculptors, you've actually finished a couple of years ago. In fact, you've slipped in another novel since then. You are very prolific as a writer, would you think? Well, uh, I, I've been told, so I've been told. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I finished this novel uh, about two years ago. Then it was published earlier this year in India by by Seagull uh, uh, Books, and uh, so it's published this month um, by Quella Books in South Africa. Mm. But then, after writing The Sculptors of My Pungubwe, I wrote another novel, Rachel's Blue, which has been available for the past eight months or so uh, as a Kindle book, uh, so you can get that online but will also be published by Quella Books next year. Mm. The world of publishing is a whole different story, isn't it? And I suppose yeah. I'm hoping that you don't have to worry yourself too much about this sort of thing. Does somebody else handle all the publishing and how that happens so you don't have to bother with that? Somebody else does, although the online one, uh, I did it myself, mm. you know, because after finishing this novel, I knew that it would wait for another three or four years before it sees the light of day, you know, as, as, as a hard copy book. And uh, I was very eager that, uh, you know, people should should read it and give me whatever feedback yes. they can. So I decided to publish it online, you know. Yeah, hmm. but it's, it's interesting that you should make that point because in this day of um, instant messaging, messaging, I mean, I've just announced that I'm on Twitter and we can do things very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes to have to wait for a book from the moment that you've uh, you've put the last full point there, you know, another year or so for it to actually be out, must be very frustrating for a writer. Well, not really. Not if you have, you know, one book after another. Yes, I mean, uh, uh, for instance, I have The Sculptors of My Pungubwe is a new book, you know, as far as readers are concerned. 
you know, so um, they can wait for the next book, yeah. which will be next year. It's not new with me. I mean, the next year book, but for for the readers, it, it will is quite except, of course, for the online readers. Uh, yeah. Who have been reading it already. And, and it has to be said, it's not time-bound, because it's bound in, in the annals of history. This, this book is set very long ago, so it's not yes. like we're looking at something that's very contemporary. Mm-hmm. But the reason I talk about y- uh, your prolificness, if that's if such a word exists, and mm-hmm. you would be the right man to tell me, <laughs> is that it seems to me for this particular book that you did a large amount of research. Um, and I'm thinking that if you do that amount of research for each and every book, it's even more um, breathtaking that you managed to produce so many books. It's always this was sculptors. Was it a particularly a lot of research for this one? Oh yes, there was a lot of of of, um, of research. Um, but um, fortunately, it happened when I was based in Chicago uh, at, at Northwestern University, where they have what is reputed to be the biggest collection of African books and archival materials under one roof. What a gift. Uh, Their Africana library. So there I was able to discover a lot of material, material by South African writers who have written extensively, who have researched extensively on, uh, on Mapungubwe, people like Tim Huffman of Vez University, and his students, you know, he has produced a number of students who have written wonderful, wonderful uh, works on, um, you know, he, they, they, most of them are ethno-archaeologists, and we have reconstructed that period. But in Chicago, I was also able to get writings, old, old writings by Arab travelers, Arab travelers, Swahili travelers, who visited Mapungubwe, uh, who visited Kilwa and Sofala, and used to trade um, uh, with those people, um, and, and, and so on. And so I traced all the, the journeys that they took on the Zanj Seas, as the Indian Ocean was called then, to Kilwa, which is in present-day Tanzania, to Mogadishu, to Eden in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. So, you see, all, all, all those writings. So, the, the, the writings of the Arab uh, travelers, of the ancient Arab travelers, the ethno-archaeology of scholars like Tim Huffman and his students, and then, most importantly also, the oral traditions of the Bangona people in, in the Limpopo area, you see, who are direct descendants of the ancient kingdom of, of Mapungubwe. So they have very rich oral traditions, you know, that they trace back to that period. Now, when you take these three sources and put them together, you are able to reconstruct life as it was then. So, um, like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, are, you are able to 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 rec- So I tried very very much. My story is is fictional, you know. It is fictional, but um, the whole environment, how people lived, what their concerns were, how they dressed, what they ate, and what their conflicts were. 
all that is based on on the research. It is based on 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 the real life as it was then. That is why for me this is not a fairy tale. You, you yes, know, yes. You see, it is like any novel that you would. It's a period novel. Mm, mm. I see it as a period novel, not a folk tale or a fairy tale or anything like that. It's a period novel, a fictional story set in a reconstructed past, as any other period, yes. a piece. You know, writers today will write about England during thirteenth uh, century. Yeah, yeah, you know. Queen Elizabeth the First. They were they were not there. They never lived during that period. But they use various materials, archives, books by historians, and so on, to reconstruct that. That's what a period novel is. Yes, yes. So this is a period yes. novel. Yes, I know. We yes. went to denigrate your writing by referring to it as a fairy tale. It just it has a sort of storytelling. Well, you flavor. see, so it's the way that you it's the way that you talk through the book. Well, you see, the way that I talk through the book. Is, is magical. Mm. But magic is not only found in, in fairy tales. It is found in magical realism and novels and so on and so forth. Yes. Hmm. It, it put me in mind, as my grandmother used to say, of a book called Shardik by Richard Adams. I don't know if you know it at all, but it's, mm. it's also a sort of reconstructed period piece. But so, yes. So was it going back to why you wrote this book? Not yes. that I've asked you that yet, but mm. was it because of the proximity of all this research material in Chicago? I mean, you must have been like a kid in a candy store with all this yes. information around you. Was it because you had that opportunity? Or is this a book, or, or is Mapon Gubway something about which you've always wanted to write? Well, it's not something that I've always wanted to write. Maybe because I didn't know much about Mapungubwe. I mean, I knew that there is a Mapungubwe somewhere and so on. Um, but it's always been my wish to map out South Africa through my, my fiction. To have, you know, novels that are set in different communities, different periods of history, different parts of the country. You know, the whale caller set among the so-called colored people in, um, in the Western Cape, the Madonna of Excelsior set among the Basutu people in the Free State, the Heart of Redness set among the Tosa people. In, and then, of course, the, this one, you know, set among uh, the Bangona people, as they are called today. They were not called that during the period of, of this novel, um, in, in the northern part of South Africa. You see, mm. so it fell into that overall plan that, you know, I, I love the stories that are told, you know, by the various ethnic groups of, 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 of South Africa. Mm. And uh, I would like to, to map out, you know, through fiction, you know, um, um, the, the, uh, South Africa. Yeah, so there'll be a sort of... Yeah, so what happened then, uh, I, I knew that one day I, would, uh, I might write a story set somewhere in those parts. Uh, it, 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 it Maybe it, it would have been a contemporary story. or it, So it happened that I was in Chicago at, uh, at Northwestern in Evanston, and of course I was surrounded by all this material. Then I was struck by the, the idea that, yeah, in fact... Let me set a story in 
the old kingdom of, uh, of, of Mapungu. Mm. That's a captivating concept. So I mm. suppose if we were to look at a map of South Africa, mm. we could plot it out and seek some Dar's footprint of books, um, longing to know how many spaces there are still left that still need to be uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, hold that thought uh, because we're going to take a quick break. We're, you're mm. listening to SAFM Literature here on okay. SAFM. Yeah. We're talking to Zeke Sundar about his latest book. It's called The Sculptors of Mapungubwe. This is my chance to be heard. I know I can help make a difference. This place is beautiful. You have a reason to vote in the 2014 national elections, but are you registered? Registration stations open on 9 and 10 November 2013. Remember to take your green ID book or smart card with you. You can also SMS your ID number to 32810 to check if you're registered or visit elections.org.za. Your vote is a celebration of 20 years of democracy. IEC, I vote South Africa. Standard SMS rates apply. SAFM Literature well, you're listening to uh, a chat with Zeke Sundar, who's uh, written, or certainly not his latest book, but it's the latest one that we have in print. It's called The Sculptors of Mapungubwe. Um, Zeke, the, uh, the, so we, we've discovered sort of the, the background to the book, so let's get into the book itself, which mm-hmm. is... I want to say it's a classic tale of two brothers. It's not really a classic tale. I'm going to stop using these sort of terminologies. But it is a tale of two brothers, two rival brothers, which is a sort of, um, you know, it's one of those devices that is quite useful. But so firstly, tell us, a little, before I sort of put my words into it, tell us a little bit about these two guys, because I call them guys, because they could be, although they're set in this ancient time, they could be now. They're very. Uh, I have this sort of sense that I know these men and, and their characteristics. Who are they? Tell us a little bit about them. Well, um, Chata and Rendani. Uh, Chata Mbuza and um, and Rendani. Um, well, I, I think we 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 only discover much later that they are brothers. We we don't know that they are brothers. Um, in the beginning, so I, I'm already spoiling the... Yes, well, uh, when I said brothers, thing. I meant it in inverted yeah. commas. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, <clears throat> they are artists, you know, they are sculptors. Um, I was more interested in looking at the role of the artist in society uh, then, and um, by so doing... I would also be commenting at the role of the artist uh, today. What was expected of the artist by society at the time, you know. Rendani, for instance, um, is of the establishment, you know. He is a royal sculptor and um, like all royal artists, you know, has to create art in praise of the powers that be. Yes, it's his official title, isn't it? It's he his is official title. And, um, um, and artists, of course, are expected to create, you know, state-approved art. You know, art that, for, that, that, that praises the culture, the kings, and so on. And then here is this artist, uh, Chata, who decides to create a different kind of art. And, and art which is referred to by the, the, the state as self-indulgent art. Yeah, he creates a wonderful uh, sculpture uh, 
in, uh, in ivory and gold. You see, instead of creating the usual um, uh, rhino, for instance, or the stuff, you know, uh, that, that, that was used in gold. Rhino being the totem yes. of the people then, you know. Yes, yeah, so bringing uh, it back to significance to today. Yes. But um, mm. you, when you say he decides yes. to create these uh, other, mm. this other type of art, it's almost like he has no choice because it's mm. a gift. He puts himself into trances to, to create because he comes from another background. Again, don't want to give away too much. Yes, yes. But it's interesting that his journey is so unlike that of his so-called brother, who is, you know, follows a sort of left brain, if you like. He does this because he's his father's son, and that's what he's got to do. Definitely. Whereas Chasha is coming from another place altogether. And he's able to do that, Chasha, because his mother, as you say, comes from a different culture, and therefore is able to draw you know, from the rich resources of that culture to send himself into a trance, uh, into other worlds, you know, where he interacts with, with other uh, characters that are not of this world and is able to come back and create, you know, this new kind of art, you know, that, that has not been seen. And this, this wonderful piece that he creates, mm. it, it's called the Rain Dancer, and it, it's a yes. wonderful piece that captivates, whether it's, um, whether it's subversive or not, it captivates the people. Mm. And there's this wonderful group of people you call the community of gapers, who uh-huh. come along just to look at it yes. and praise it. And it's just, it's, it's a wonderful sort of image of these people who just come to stare and look at this piece. Uh, um, uh, very wary about not giving it too much away, but she, it, although it's a fictional uh, work that he keeps referring to, it is nonetheless very similar to a young maiden who lives in the village as well. But yes, um, yes, one, yes. Of the, one of the themes of the book is this sort of sense of the hierarchical, you know, the, the, the status of so- society, if you like, because mm-hmm. Rindani and all the important people will live on the top of the hill and everybody else lives down below. It's very much, it's almost like things haven't changed so much. We still have these sort of uh, segregations of people in social classes and castes. Oh, yes. Is. Yes, indeed. And in fact, that arrangement in Mapumugwe is based on real life, you know, as reconstructed by such archaeologists, ethno-archaeologists as, as Tim Huffman and his students. Um, the nobles, the king and the nobles and so on, lived on top of the hill, and the rest of the members of the community were, you know, down there around the, the hill. That's where, that's where the town was. So that hierarchy, you know, which was symbolic and but which was also real, in the sense that um, the top were uh, on top, you know. Just, just getting back to something more sort of prosaic, I suppose, is, is um, the relationship between these two men, or two boys when they start. There yes. are these sort of like petty jealousies, and they, they vie for um, recognition, or at least Rendani vies for recognition, and Chata seems not to mind about recognition. Yes. But they, mm. they have very interesting personality traits, as I say, petty jealousies. Again, things that we see today. Definitely, because... I don't think uh, human nature has changed much in the past mm. 2,000 years or so. So, you know, they, are, they, 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 they would have, you know, those uh, petty jealousies that we have today. 
the other thing interesting about it is that they are all in Mapungubwe, um, and Chata himself has, I can't remember the word for it, but there's a wonderful description, it's, it's wanderlust, but there's a word for it, a specific oh, yeah. word, which, and he gets, it's like a disease, he gets on his feet and he just has to go, and it, yes. he's, he's itching. What is, what is the word for it? It's, a, it's an African word, and it means wanderlust. Can you remember? It, it means uh, wanderlust. Actually, it's a, it's a very contemporary word, mm. word of the Sivenda language, um, which, um, yeah, which, which means that, you know, with uh, or, or, or something like that. So, mm. so when he gets this, he goes off, he sort of leaves the, you know, the family home, the, the, the sort of the safety of the environment, and mm. off he goes on his travels where he has all sorts of other experiences. It was quite important for him to do that, was it? So that he could l- learn more lessons? Yes, so that he could learn more lessons, but so that you could learn those lessons as well, because uh, I had to take one character out of Mapungubwe to other places, you know, where Mapungubwans or where traders, people who traded with, 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 with Mapungubwe, you know, came from. So it was important for us to go to Sofala and then get into a boat and go to Kilwa in Tanzania, get into a boat, go to Mogadishu, uh, get into a boat and go to, to Saudi Arabia, or what is Saudi Arabia today, uh, you know, because that was the world of Mapungubwe, you know, th- th- that's where the traders came from and that's the route that they took. You know, to get to 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 to, 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 to Mapungubwe, yeah. so and it, it was important to show what did they want in Mapungubwe, you know, and um, to show all the trade um, uh, that happened between, you know, these peoples and and the people of uh, yes. of, of Mapungubwe. Silk being a very important one, silk being quite symbolic. In fact, at one point it gets banned because uh, yes. because it, we're going back to the sort of hierarchical thing. Mm. Just to refer back to all the the reading that you did, the, the research material. Yes. How did you work with that? Did you, you know, I'm thinking about the writings that were in the old Arab writers, Swahili writing. Did you work with that and sort of mine it, if you like, sort of trawl from it all bits of information and then sit with all these things that you wanted to build into a story. I mean, how did it come about? Did the story come first or the information that you poured into the structure of the story? Well, I mean, uh, they, it, it works both ways, you know. There's that symbiotic relationship with, you know, the creative process and the material that you, you keep on d- discovering, uh, you know, in the process of creating um generally one reads you know you read about these things even when you don't know where they will be useful in your story or if they will be useful at all why because you need to have a clear grasp of that world and its issues not only all the issues that you'll be dealing with in the story you don't even know what issues you'll be dealing with in the story but you need to have a very clear grasp of that world, so that when you create a story set in that world, it should be true to that world, true to the real life of that world, you know. And so my, my reading was, was general. Uh, I read the Arab writers, 
and I, I didn't only pick those things that I, I wanted to feature. And I learned a lot from those writings, you know, about those traders and what their attitudes were, you know, uh, t towards the, the people of, of Mapungubwe. Some of the attitudes which were quite racist when you read those writings, mm. you know. That helps you to know what kind of trader you are going to create. Um, I read about the Swahili and their attitudes, you know. The same kind of ethnic chauvinism that you find today mm. was, was there during those days, and it, it comes out very clearly in the writings of these people. Yes, the sort mm. of disdain that people have for people mm. of different cultures. It's, it's yes. an extraordinary thing how we manage to sort of hang on to this right. thing. Um, one of the other things that I found was really interesting was, there, was the issue of the diviners, the, the people who could mm -hmm. uh, look into the future, see what was coming, the use of the tablets, um, yes, 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 and yes. all those different things. Um. Um, again, was that something that you read about? Was it, did they play a very strong role? It seems that they Well, played. I mean, uh, they, sp they play a very strong role today. Mm. And obviously, the, the shamans and things played a very, they've always played, uh, I mean, a very strong role in, in, in the African culture, indeed in, in all the cultures of the world, you know. Religion, because that is religion. Religion always plays a crucial role. And the definition that I have there, you know, uh, using those tablets and so on, those are real tablets that, in fact, are even very contemporary amongst the, 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 the Bavenda people of today, uh, uh, you see. But there are tablets, you know, that, that, they, that they inherited from their forebears, you see, from their ancestors um, 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 during those years. So how the tablets are used, that definition, is it's very contemporary in that it's something that I learned from contemporary diviners, you know, uh, about those tablets. Mm. Did, did you learn a lot about... Did, for you, were there a lot yes. of lessons in the way people lived then that, I mean, as we see, there are a lot of parallels, there are a lot of things that are still the same. Mm. There are a lot of things that have got overlooked, you know, the, the issue of diviners and the use of the tablets and mm. the, uh, the, the totems and the, the symbols, and people live very much by the earth and by tradition, all of which is sort of, to, to an extent, and I'm sure you'll know this, based in America as you are, based at the mm. University of Ohio, that a lot of those things have sort of fallen off the planet a little bit because they've been overtaken by technologies and all sorts of other things. I mean, does that, you know, as you wrote this book, do you think, hmm, we need to look back a little more and take more from history? Well, I mean, uh, I don't believe in looking back in order to take more from, 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 from the past. <laughs> you say that. I, I, I believe that cultures are dynamic. They change for a reason. Why we no longer live the way they used to live, there's a reason for, for that. It's because times have changed. You see, and we also change we, we, with the times we are, uh, and accommodate new ways of doing things and, and so on. So, I don't think that um, my aim is to, is to look back with a view of being archival in the, in how we should live our lives today. But I believe that we, as by we now, I'm talking, you know, writers who write historical novels. 
historical novels, I mean, their main function is actually to comment about the present. If a historical novel is just for its own sake, that this is history and this is how things used to be, and it teaches, it teaches us nothing about today and how, I mean, about the human condition today, then it is useless. People who read your book will mm. get the lessons that you're trying to put, or you have put across. There are an awful lot of people who don't read books, as you, as you know, and you will. Yes. A lot of people who are not able to read books for whatever reason, access or illiteracy and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Could this make a play? Um, Ways of Dying, I think, was turned into a play. If this were be, to be made into a play, could it reach a broader audience? Well, not only could it make a play, this is going to be an opera. Oh, Yes, it's uh, that's in in the work in, in the works already. I won't talk much about that mm. because the people who are making it into an opera mm. are the ones who should talk about it. It's, yeah. it's not me who's making it into an opera, but it's some real, you know, good opera people of, of South Africa, you know, uh, wonderful composers and librettists, you know, who have done lots of work before. Uh, so they are in in the process of doing that for yeah. for. For next year. Wow! Like so even as mm-hmm. e- even e- even as I was writing it, because you see, I talked with 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 with, with, with this composer, who's a well-known Cape Town composer, and even before I wrote this novel, and I sent him the story outline, you know, to say, well, this is because he he approached me in fact to say, man. I need a story from you because I want to create this opera for, 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 for 2014, you know, which is the 20th anniversary of, of... Then I said, yeah, actually, there's this novel that I'm thinking of writing. And here is the outline of this novel. That So even before I wrote this novel, this opera guy knew already about it and what it was going to be about. So when I wrote this novel... I I, I, I I was already seeing the opera in my imagination. Okay, okay. It will indeed make a fine opera. I can see those two strutting about the stage. Um, yes. Singing it will be absolutely magnificent, I'm sure. Um, just in, uh, two more questions for you, many more questions, but two I'm going to confine myself to. Just going back to South Africa, um, mapped out in Zakes and Dar's books. Yeah. One of the things that I think it would maybe have been last year, I think that there was a request to find, I think it was from the libraries, librarians were invited Mm. to um, nominate the ten books that they thought best represent or best influence democracy here in South Africa. Uh And I think that one of your books was amongst them. I don't know which which title it Uh, was. Madonna of Excelsior. Was it? Madonna of Excelsior. Did that that make you feel good? Do you you feel... is, Is... uh, well, it's hardly nascent democracy anymore. I mean, it's an emerged democracy. But do you, is, it, is that part of your your objective? It's not my objective, but it does make me feel good when my own people, you know, recognize my work. You see, artists are always complaining. Artists in South Africa, uh, by artists I mean, you know, all I mean, writers, painters, musicians, and so on are always complaining that they don't get recognition in their country, in South Africa here, until maybe they go abroad. And then only then, 
you know, do, 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 do they get recognition after they... they but with me, it, it's been the opposite of that, yeah. you know. And I cannot complain about the, the recognition that I have in, in this country. My country, men and women, celebrate my work, you know. So, and it, it, it's, it's been like that from day one, from the first novel that I wrote, you know. So, I'm, 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 I'm so well received that um, on the 8th of August, for instance, a town in the Eastern Cape decided to celebrate what it called Zeksimda Day. And all the schools were gathered, you know, singing songs and dancing and so on, to celebrate my novels. And uh, a thing like that, happening in your own country, you, you know, the saying that a prophet is not recognized in his own home, so it does not work that way uh, uh, with me. And if you take all the honors that I've received from universities, from arts organizations, from towns like Stacksbury, which celebrated the Zakesim that day, and so on, and from readers in general, I cannot complain. I, 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 I'm, 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 yes. I'm, 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 I'm very honored and very proud that I'm so wonderfully received here, more than anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, my books are published in 21 languages. You know, in, in, in America, they are prescribed in schools, universities, and so on. But the greatest recognition of my work is in South Africa. So we could compare you to the royal sculptor. We could call you the national novelist. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You know. Well, we could consider yes. it. Zeke, it's been absolutely wonderful. And uh, a very, very tiny question because we are yes. out of time. But, mm. um, when we were listening to you at the Fugard Theatre um, mm. and you said that something to the effect of you like to write what was surrounded by your family. And I thought, oh, my goodness, how nice does he do that? Because you've got... Yeah. Lots and lots of people around you. Do, is that not a distraction? Don't you want to have well, it's 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 not a distraction for me. That's what generates creativity. You know, it's an environment that enriches me. You know, my wife, my children, and so on. I write anywhere. I mean, I, I write in the kitchen as I'm as I'm cooking. At, I write where I like at, 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 at dinner for my kids. When there were babies, I would write whilst, uh, you know, I, I changed their diapers and then sit down and write. I write at the train station, in the plane, in, in the hotel. In, I don't have any special space, for instance, at my house for writing. I use the same space that we all use, my kids and I, to do our homework and uh, whatever else, you know. Well, I've no mm. doubt that it rubs off on them, Zeke. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I think I had the privilege. Uh, we in Cape Town, we had the privilege of hearing you talk. I think uh, you're going to be talking at the Market Theatre yes. on the 31st. Am I right? 31st of October. I. We think so. I, I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Very best of luck, and I look forward to South Africa peppered with your books, and uh, we'll be able to make a, a map of them. Lovely, and certainly look forward to the opera version of the sculptors of Map on Goodway. Zeksandar, thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. In the meantime, you can get hold of a physical copy of the book. It's uh, published by Quella, and I'll give you all the details once again at the end of the show. It's SFM Literature. Stay with us. <laughs>